Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am Mike Casaza, welcoming in Chris Anderson to preview Saturday's game, a noon kickoff in the Eastern Standard Time Zone, 11 a.m. CST in Manhattan, Kansas. Chris, correct me if I'm wrong here, but if it's noon on the East and 11 in the Central Time Zone, and you're from the East, it's still technically noon in your head, is it not? Is this a daylight savings time thing, or is this a time zone thing? I was I was in, like, the vortex during this news conference on Tuesday where these things tend to get a little bit old after a while. And when your team isn't – the team you're covering isn't especially good, I think the coaches can mail it in sometimes, too, and it's a lot of words and not a lot of meaning on stuff. And the questions tend to wander. And they're talking about time differences and all that stuff, and I'm thinking – it would be harder, I think, for the team that is from the Central Time Zone to play an 11 a.m. kickoff. It's still noon for West Virginia, and we're a week removed from it would actually be 1 p.m. I, I didn't understand any of this stuff here. And then I'll get to another point here in a second that I, I was curious by. But uh, my point being, it's 11 a.m. in Manhattan. It's noon in Morgantown. West Virginia will leave the day before the game, so it's not like they're going to be on a different clock. They're talking about changing their schedule this week to simulate the time. What's going on? I have no idea. I was just thinking that that it was that daylight savings would actually help. That maybe it feels more like one o'clock than noon. So, I don't know. I, I heard. I remember Neil Brown talking about that when he was asked. You know, do you prefer morning night games? Um, and he said he just kind of had to spend the whole week having his team adjust to the day, the noon games, just because everything else happened so early. Which is, which is true. I guess like when you get started and you're getting prepped for that game. I mean, those guys are. They're not sleeping in till eight or nine o'clock and then rolling on over to the stadium. Now they're they're already there by that point and getting ready for the game. Mm. Another one. Mm -hmm. uh, noon slash eleven. West Virginia will play noon at home against Texas. I'm assuming noon. I don't know if they can get that one done earlier. Maybe nine a.m. against Kansas, but no night games. Neil Brown says, I don't know why, but haven't gotten a night game this year. True, untrue. They were supposed to get Oklahoma at home at night last year. But he is right. They've played three seasons now. They will not get a night game at home. They've been the visitor for, I think, three or four. I'm trying to think of my head. Anyway, point being, they don't have any. I have a pretty simple explanation here that he might not want to hear and others might not want to hear. I'm pretty sure he knew it, too. And when he said, I don't know how to answer that. A little half truth there, I guess, because I think he does know. But ultimately, how much does that matter? They haven't played a home night game in three seasons here. Well, I think even more so him saying he doesn't know why, him saying he doesn't have a part in that. Because yeah. technically he does. Good teams usually equals night games. Um, you know, West Virginia has had, had success in, in spurts over these last couple of years, so we're not saying it's a complete dud. But, it, you know, you you the TV – partners if you'll call them that 
they want to have good teams play at night. They want to have good games at night. Um, so for West Virginia to get a night game, they usually have to be pretty good. And they have been okay. They've been a 500-type team, and that's not usually the team that's going to be getting the primetime game on ABC or ESPN at this point. So, um, yeah, I mean, says he doesn't know, says he doesn't have a say in it. He does know, and he does have a say in it. What was their ESPN Plus game? Was that Iowa State? Yeah, and Long Island. Two of them. Um, guess what? When you have the ESPN Plus game, you can pick your kickoff time. Right. And they did not pick a night game. So is that true? They can like fully pick it. I mean, I know yeah. I know they have a lot of leeway in that because wasn't it the Long Island game where they chose the five o'clock? Yeah. Wasn't that wasn't that the five o'clock start time? Mm-hmm. Which they count as a night game, by the way, for the purposes of record keeping. Like the NCAA counts five o'clock. I think it's maybe. I think it's five o'clock and after. I know there's a specific designation of five o'clock definitely counts. So the granted, does anybody care? No, I get that. But and when you think night games, you're thinking seven, seven thirty, eight o'clock. But Lions told me that they were done doing noon when they get ESPN plus because they get to pick the times. Now I do wonder, um, can you start at 10 PM? No, I get that. But what is to stop them from playing Iowa state at 7 PM? Like that was an unusual kickoff time. Granted they were doing, Hall of Fame inductions before that. So could you have done the Hall of Fame after the uh, or before a seven o'clock game? I would think so. Before an eight o'clock game, I would think so. I'm sure people would probably still come. Whoever's going to come to that is going to come no matter when it starts. But they put that at two o'clock. They can, if I'm mistaken, I'm sure someone will find me and let me know. That seems to be how these things go. But my recollection of having that conversation with St. Lions was that they get to pick the kickoff times and you know, the noon games were never going to be their option. So they didn't pick a noon game there. They picked a 2 p.m., but they could have had a night game there if they wanted one. And against Iowa State, listen, it didn't matter. They won the game, but that would have been a good atmosphere, I think. Trouble is, were they bending in the right direction there? They had, a what, a 46,000 crowd um, th- that day. Would you have had 46,000 if it was an 8 p.m. game or a 7 p.m. game? That's interesting because I think some people might not come up from Charleston or come down from Martinsburg or wherever that requires a two- or three-hour drive. They might not do that, and your attendance might have been, I don't know, 40. That wouldn't have been a good look for a night game. My thought here is that they might be pigeonholed into a few awkward times. I'll have to check and see what the other times the other ESPN Plus games are, like for other teams and other locales. But if I were ESPN, I would try to push on schools these kind of awkward times that we've seen. It was 2 o'clock for Iowa State, 5 o'clock for Log Island, because it's almost like, if, if you started at 3.30, you're starting it off at 3.30 with a dozen other games. If you started at noon, it's a dozen other games. 7, 7.30, and again, a dozen other games. But if you pick these off times, it's like the old uh, TBS thing where they would always start five minutes after the mm-hmm. hour. Try to try to clip that audience a little bit, keep them there. I, I wonder if ESPN has taken that angle. I mean, I, that's the first thing that pops my mind when I think of these 2 o'clock, 5 o'clock. They're trying to catch those people that are halfway through a crappy noon game saying, oh, look, this one's just starting um, or, or something like that, trying to catch that that audience in the off hour as best you can. That's the only thing I can think of as far as why you would pick 2 o'clock and 5 o'clock for your kickoff times. 5 o'clock is probably easier for them to get in and get out. They don't – we've talked about this before. Night games are not a great thing for the university and the town around it. 
you're stretching your police and your security and all that stuff a little bit thin if it's a night game. You're 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 inviting certain dynamics into the room, so to speak. Five o'clock's a little bit better too. Don't know. You might be onto something there. They might say, hey, you can pick between these slots. You can't. Yeah, you don't want noon. We get that. You can't have eight because we have a game on ESPN or ABC or Fox. Can't do that. Sorry. Okay. And you, you decide to take the five o'clock or the two o'clock. I get that. We'll see. But uh, to the larger point, got to win. You win games. Your your stakes are higher at the end of the season, and you're playing. Iowa State or Oklahoma State or even Kansas State and Texas especially, you're playing them at night. And granted, the team has to do their part. We'll get to this in a second. Kansas State probably is. Texas not really. So it's a hard it's a hard sell to make. I'm not sure that anybody is setting aside plans for Texas and uh, West Virginia on ABC 8 o'clock at night just because it's on. If you're one of the followers of those teams, sure, you're going to watch that. But casual fans, you're probably flipping the channel. So that's the way this goes out. Um, Going in our matchup here, both teams started 0-3 in Big 12 play. Uh, Kansas State, I was I was surprised when I saw this. I had not followed them very closely this year until, you know, right about last week when I noticed they were 6-3, and 3-3 and in the Big 12. They've won three in a row. Uh, West Virginia was 2-4, and 0-3, two out of three wins since their break. Um, two teams that have, have kind of gotten their act together, the only difference being that Kansas State has not had to step back. They, they avoided the landmine. Early in their winning streak, West Virginia could not in the form of Oklahoma State. I don't want to say two teams going in other directions. They've they probably pointed themselves upward at the right time. And for both, there's there's plenty on the line here, more so for West Virginia because of bowl eligibility. But also, you know, this is Chris Kleiman's third season, similar to Neil Brown, identical to Neil Brown, actually. And he's finally got a healthy team and a quarterback who knows what he's doing and a defense that aligns what the coaches want to do and the players can do. So I'm sure that it means a lot for them to finish this season strong. Yeah, I was going to say the only other the other difference between the two teams is that I, um, Kansas State was dealing with, you know, an injury uh, that to their quarterback. And I think their kind of downfall coincided partly or at least their offense's struggles coincided with Skylar Thompson being out. And, and he's been fantastic uh, since returning and that offense has really picked it up. Um, and. You're right. Like I, I think you and I, before we hopped on here, we were laying out the plan where, or, or what had the roadmap to Kansas State getting into the Big 12 championship game. The chances are very small. Uh, it would take a lot, uh, extremely unlikely, but I guess still possible. So what is in it for them uh, to kind of finish the season struggle? I don't think there's any question marks about, you know, desire or anything like that, but it's Hey, they're going to get into one of a couple different kind of mediocre bowl games. Maybe if they kind of win two out of three or three out of three to end the year, they're in the top 25. So there's that for West Virginia. It's obvious bowl game finishing strong. Um, and I think I, I, the Texas game will forever make me think that it's going to be uh, is going to be a tough opponent, no matter how bad the Longhorns have looked recently, losing four straight games. But, man, that's putting a lot of pressure on your team if you don't win this game in Manhattan to get to five wins before those final two games. Yes. And, again, <laughs> you've won here on the road. You beat them twice. This is a similar thing to TCU. This, this this could be a good situation for West Virginia. I mean, and it seems like a strange thing to say. Throw them out on the road and have them save their season. They did that once before. And if that was an easy sell, even if it wasn't a hard sell, or even if it was an easy sell, if that was a hard sell, they did it. They took a bite out of that. They swallowed it, and they were better because of it. You have to do that now. It's not back against the wall time, but they don't win this one. 
you're right. There's a lot of eggs in one basket where the other team is just more talented. Is it a better team? No. But clearly, you look at the rosters, one has, I would say, more at probably all the critical spots there. I'm sure matchups are going West Virginia's favor, but that doesn't mean they have the better players or the better potential. And what team can access a higher level of play? Seeing Texas's defense, but I've also seen that offense this year. And when it's clicking, it's very good. It just hasn't clicked in a while. Quarterback troubles, a whole bunch of stuff off the field, too. Monkeys are involved. I don't know. I wish I sometimes paid more attention to other teams than the one I cover because Texas looks pretty intriguing right now. We'll worry about that one later. We'll talk about Kansas State. My question for you, Chris Anderson. Who is the first team all Big 12 quarterback? Oh, God. Are you telling me, is, is this the game that decides it? Jared Dagey versus Skylar Thompson? I was wondering, is that quarterback playing in this game? Is it a, is it a determining factor? I'm sure you can throw a lot of support behind Caleb Williams, and that would make sense. But the the numbers, oh boy, the numbers that Jared Dagey had been putting up, I think, were deflated by what happened last week. I don't think you can give that guy the award. But the way Thompson has played and was playing before he was injured, he's on a heater right now. He's been very good for three games in a row, five games in a row, but three in particular during the wins. Extremely accurate. At one stretch, he played the second half of the. Uh, first half against Kansas, second half against TCU, and had two incomplete passes and 29 attempts. Pretty good. So different opponents, different weeks separated. It wasn't like he could just say, I'm on a roll and I'm throwing strikes, but he had a week between games, and he was all but two were in the receiver's hands. Avoiding turnovers, the offensive scoring points. I, I think it's going to be a competition. Like There is going to be, again, a lot of support behind Williams. Gary Bohannon's played very well. But if they end up winning, you know, eight games, it, it might be hard to say no to Skylar Thompson, who has a lot of fans in this conference, too. Coaches do like him a lot. He's a competitor, um, missed two games, struggled against Oklahoma State without him. What I remember reading and hearing people talk about was he came back way ahead of schedule, certainly sooner than he was expected to against Oklahoma and passed for 320 yards and three touchdowns against Oklahoma's defense, which is good. And, you know, you had those teams fighting in the end of those games. And then he's been, like I said, very good for a while. Five straight games of more than 200 yards in this run. Eight touchdowns, two interceptions. They finally have a quarterback who's on the field and healthy. That's been a big problem for climate so far. Oh, my God. I'm the, you're, you had me going through all the quarterbacks in the league, and I'm just strolling through here, and it's just— That's the issue, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're looking at a guy who started off on the bench, came in, was great, then meh, and might only have half a season— Thompson injured for several games. Uh, Duggan, who got benched. Thompson, who was started on the bench, started, got benched again. Rattler, who got benched. Bohannon, who's been solid. He's been good. I mean, God, is it Bohannon? Purdy, who, I, I mean, it, it wasn't a, a permanent or more than one game benching, but he did get benched early in the year. Had a terrible performance. Has come on late. Has some decent stats. Um, yeah, Columbia. Yeah. Yeah, Daggy Sanders. Oh, man. <laughs> Since when did the Big 12 turn into such a, a league that doesn't have a quarterback to choose for first team? Yeah, it's very tricky. Um, Williams is first in quarterback rating and yards per attempt in touchdown to interception ratio. Um, he's probably going to get it. He's played seven of their nine games. He started, has he started four of them? I'm trying to remember in my head now. He's probably going to get it starting up. And if they go 12 and 0, probably him. And yeah. then it gets into, like, if, if, if they lose one or two or if he's human 
and it comes back to earth or if you know, he's just not it, then you're looking at, is it Bohannon? Is it Purdy? Is it Thompson? So I thought that was an interesting thing. I was wondering how good he'd been. I knew that the Big 12 was not as as vintage at the position as it had been before. And then you look at his numbers, and, and he's been he's been accurate. Um, 71.3% completion percentage, 9.9 yards per attempt, eight touchdowns, four interceptions. I get that, but 165.88 rating, which is pretty good for college. Um, and again, just playing competent at the position, and we can get to this now too. Surprisingly explosive on offense through the air too. Yeah, I, you you brought that up in the uh, press conference with Neil Brown, which oh. again, uh, I don't want to talk about it. I knew you were going to be insufferable after that mm. when he when he gave you kudos, and then somebody messaged you that he was being nice, and somebody else said you had good questions. I was like, oh god, this is. So the beginning of the end here. Um, I told you, Chris, I used my open week perfectly. <laughs> Got better. But, I mean, since when do you think of Kansas State as being an explosive offense, particularly through the air? I mean, double-digit pass plays of 40-plus yards. Um, and, it, it one, that's a lot. Like, that's top 25 in the country for Kansas State, who didn't have a good quarterback for, what, three or four of the games so far this year? Yeah, he missed two starts. And and this team, as far as pace goes, they don't run as many plays as everybody else. So it, it, their rate is even better than, than top 25-ish in that kind of category. So this is a team, and I, I tried to go through it. Like, is it happening on play action? Is it happening to um, with certain players only? Is it all concentrated in one game and they just kind of piled up? No, I haven't. I've found one trend. We'll talk about it in a minute. But they're really like, I think they're just kind of pulling this this fast one on teams because so many teams go in there thinking, hey, we got to focus on Deuce Vaughn. Hey, they're going to run the ball. Thompson likes to run the ball. And then they just hit him deep. It's impressive. I mean, nine plays of 50 yards or more number 12 in the FBS, but seven of them are pass plays. Like, so that's, that's surprising too. And then their running back is not, I don't know. Again, I, 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 this is a lazy comparison because of who he is and, and where he's playing, but he reminds me a lot of Darren Sproles and size shifty, really good in, in the receiving game too, but they line them up all over the field. And then you're right. Um, they have two good outside receivers who happen to be very dangerous kickoff and punt returners in Malik Knowles and Phillip Brooks. And then <clears throat> game changer, tight end, Chris. The only tight end in the country with two 65-yard pass plays this year. Plays is at that Kansas true? State. Holy cow. Plays at Kansas State. Uh, also, he is a seventh-year senior. He's at his fourth school. High, highly coveted commodity here, and they're they're finding a way to use him too. He's bounced around, he's played a lot, but six four two forty runs really well. Um, I'll, I'll paraphrase Neil Brown here. I'm, I don't really want to try to butcher his name here, but he's he's been a good player for them from pretty much when he got on campus too. Daniel Imatorbebe. There you go. Good player. Oh, um, hasn't played a ton of snaps. One hundred and twenty eight in eight games, but a threat and he keeps getting open on those little pop passes and those seam plays. But you're, you're talking two or three receivers who have made the big plays, uh, a quarterback who can scramble and hit people downfield, doesn't run a lot and then find ways to get your running back involved. And by the way, when no one's paying attention, pop to the tight end 
if you have a lot of things you can throw at a defense, it's it's hard to keep the lid on at all times. You're going to spread teams out, which they do. They go empty sometimes, um, and you're going to find a way to get the ball to somebody either on the run or behind a defensive back. And they have speed. They're good at that. Yeah, I was I was gonna say I thought I remember that name, and he did have a brother, and and he was a big time recruit out of out of high school. Yeah, top twenty top twenty tight end. Uh, what well, I mean, he's bounced around a lot of places, but was originally in Florida, USC. I mean, those are the types of teams we're talking about that recruited him and eventually took his commitment and signed him uh, before he had bounced around Illinois as well and then Kansas State. So he's a talent. And, I mean, I don't think the people listening to this podcast need me to tell you, tell them to watch out for the tight end for West Virginia. Oh, is that a thing? That is a thing. That is definitely a thing. So I hear. It's a good catch by you, Chris. <laughs> You know what else is a good catch? And maybe, maybe it's related to Ima Torbebe. He's partly involved in this. Okay. Actually, he is definitely involved in this. I think it looks like two, five, seven of his eight catches on the year. All in the, or seven of his nine, eight of his nine, all in the middle of the field. Went through looking at Kansas. When I was trying to find that trend of how and why and who, they throw these deep balls to. It, it's it, it's the middle of the field. That is where they like to attack. Now, granted, they do hit some to the to the his front side, to the right hand side of the field, uh, on the outside of the hash marks on the deep ball. But for the most part, they are throwing it over the field more than anywhere. I mean, not it's not even close. Like the ratio is not even close between the hash marks. Ninety four pass attempts for Skylar Thompson specifically. Uh, I'm not including Will Howard's numbers in here. But Skylar Thompson, Thompson specifically, 94 passes between the hash marks, 60 everywhere else combined to the left and the right. Uh, nine, almost 1,000 yards just in between the hash marks, barely over 500 outside the hash marks as well. So they, they, he loves to throw it over the middle, averages almost 15 yards of completion, um, completing 75% of his passes when he throws to the middle. That is his favorite spot to throw the ball. Interesting. Uh, Philip Brooks is their slot guy. He's slippery. He'll do some damage there, too. So that makes sense. So we're talking about Immator Bebe, Philip Brooks, Deuce Vaughn. I, I don't know how this isn't a big game for, well, maybe not Lance Dixon, but certainly X Reload, Josh Chandler, Samito. Yeah. And, and, and let's I, throw their two safeties in there, too. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That whoever's the one high safety in some of these looks, that that's going to be on them, especially deep. Um, in, uh, God, what was that game? It was a few weeks ago where, where that was part of the three key matchups. And we, I looked at those numbers and, and they, they flip fly back and forth between Mahone and Adai on who is the back deep in those looks. So I think both of them need to, you know, kind of stay on it. And both of them have had their good games and their bad games when it comes to that, especially with, uh, communicating between themselves and the cornerbacks. Yeah, and this is a concern because not because Kansas State is just so dangerous. Again, top 12 in the country, but you're talking about one play a game. And then again, Kansas State hasn't totally changed where they're 50 points a game and they have a Heisman quarterback. But here's an offense that once a game or so could take up half the field or more in a snap. That's good, obviously. West Virginia is allowing one play a game like that. And sometimes it comes in bunches, too. They are they've given up. They rank 116 in 50-yard plays. There's only 130 teams, so they're one of the worst at that. So this is something where you're going to probably see something. You're certainly going to see attempts at getting West Virginia confused 
or outflanked or something. And when you think about the big plays that West Virginia has given up from Maryland to Iowa State, I wouldn't put Oklahoma State in there. Hell, they never had to go 50 yards for a score, right? <laughs> yeah. So from games, you know, one to eight, big plays came from confusion. And when they were just, um, I don't want to say out scheme, but sometimes a scheme can get you, even if you're good at your scheme, but sometimes something can get you a formation, a motion, something that's different from film. And when I think about the games that West Virginia has talked about before and after, it's when those plays have happened. It's Iowa State's pre-snap formations and what happened there. Busts, Maryland. In the, the post game and then the autopsy stage, they were they were like, you know what, they did some things we weren't quite ready for. The receivers are good, but they know the tight ends and some stuff caught us off guard. And in between, you had similar conversations before games and after games where Jordan Leslie or Neil Brown is talking about formations, motion, pre-snap, things that they hadn't seen or just twists either upon what you might normally see from that team or what you might expect in that situation. And that's kind of what Jordan Leslie spoke about this week and said, you know, in a superlative sense, this team does that better than anybody else that they've come up against, which is like I'm waving the red flag there going, we need to pay attention to this. I think that's going to be a big part of the game is two things. One, preventing that from happening. And even if you're 99% good at it, it only takes one. And then number two, and this is more on Kansas State, if West Virginia is so on guard and is making sure it's paying attention to who's on the field, where they are, what the formation is, and what that tips or indicates – can Kansas State use that to create something else off of it? Hey, they know we always do this, or our tendency is to do this. Let's let them walk into that trap, and we're going to do that. Game within the game, sometimes you, you you call plays on Saturday because you coach and you prepare really well during the week. I think this is a game for that. So you're saying West Virginia will not be surprised by something that Kansas State does on Saturday? Yeah, can't say that because I've covered quite a few games this year where that has not been the case. But uh, <laughs> typically, that's that's the offense that says that. That's not the defense that says that. Um, what's probably frustrating for Jordan Leslie is that a lot of the times when something happens, he said, we should have known this. We miscommunicated that. We worked on this. We prepped that. And the bad thing happens. There are things where they've just been caught off guard, got outflanked. Um, and he even said that like they never saw Iowa State do something that they did to get that big breeze hall run. Um, the one that didn't end the end zone. It was a new formation that they just got, I would say, caught looking in the fact that they hadn't seen it before. The the uh, the whole, like, I know where you're getting at here. You're going to get me in trouble. <laughs> uh, the, the other part is, is, is typically the offense that says that. I, I would never lead you down that path, Michael. No. Never. What, uh, what do you think of Vaughn? Because... The conversations about him right now are the same as they were last year before the game, but he had very little success. And they didn't have their quarterback last game. Um, Will Howard played, and he did not look good. Um, you were especially hard on him, Chris. <laughs> um, but he he just wasn't a factor last game very much. And, again, the offense just didn't have it. But, man, he's really produced against, I mean, darn near everybody. And it's gotten big plays against teams as good as Oklahoma State. The best defense to ever play the game of college football. Yes. Yes, he has. Um, I don't know. You, you touched on it earlier where it's like, yeah, he, he's Darren Sproles. And when he got started in Manhattan, I remember, I can't remember who it was. It was one of our guys over at Go Power Cat, our Kansas State side, said, oh, the lazy comparison is going to be Darren Sproles. And then you watch him and you're like, well, that's because that's, that's it, it is Darren Sproles. Looks a lot like Darren Sproles. And 
And sometimes the lazy comparison is lazy because it's extremely accurate. And I think that's that's the case here, is that he can be so dangerous in so many different ways. He's smaller. He's shifty. Um, I mean, he's he's five foot six. You know, there's not a lot of five foot six running backs that are making a big difference in college in major college football. Um, Darren Sproles was one of them. Deuce Vaughn is another. Both went to Kansas State. Both also affect the game, um, passing the ball or receiving the ball. And um, you know, what was it? Was it this last game where he had yeah seventy yards catching, uh, receiving too. So he just kind of does it all. And I, how often are they? And I don't, I don't even want to say that they're they're they shy away from him near the goal line because he's found the end zone a few times this year, more times than Letty Brown has this year, in fact. But and and when you look at where he's running, yes, he loves the outside. That's his go-to. I mean, eight yards, I think, out outside of left end per carry, six plus yards per carry to the outside of the right end. They go out there more than basically any other running back that you'll see in the Big 12. He he goes out, out, deep outside. But he also goes right up the middle. It's strange. Like, there's no there's no in-between with him. He's not running between guard and tackle very often. He's not running off the outside shoulder of the guard or right off the right tackle. It's either way outside or it is a straight line right up the middle, right up the center's rear end. Killed Candace on some of those runs last game. Uh yeah. And, but it's the same thing with him. Last year, um, two catches, one yard against West Virginia. And people were really impressed by his receiving skills last year. And then uh, rushing, uh, nine carries, 22 yards. I, I just, I just again, I think highly of West Virginia's rush defense. If you're a, if you're a good back and you can hit them, you're going to do it in between. I just don't know that you can outflank them and get outside because they're very good at setting their edges. When their defensive end and their defensive tackle are doing their jobs, it's hard to get outside. Uh, and when the spear and the bandit are doing their jobs, they they really do a good job of either closing out the backside or setting the edge. It's hard to get outside against them. And um, now Kansas doesn't Kansas State doesn't not throw a lot of screens. They will use Vaughn in that, but they don't do a whole lot. Um, I, I really wonder if you see him not running a lot, but maybe do a lot of like quick stuff or pass stuff. Or maybe they try their backup running back who's had some success to try to do some things in the middle because if you're going to run against West Virginia – and you can back me up or disagree with me here, but I just I just don't think you're doing it outside your guard and tackle. I think you're doing it between your tackles. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. One thing that West Virginia, I, I'm going to agree with you, and but I, you got me thinking again about that game last year between West Virginia and Kansas State and how you, how you stop them. You don't miss tackles. I think that's the most important thing. Went back and looked. I, I was wondering, hey, is this a Tony Fields effect? And yeah, yeah, he had a big game. Um, he had a big game in that second highest rated player on the team, uh, according to PFF. Uh, God, like he has 15 tackles. Something was involved in 15 different tackles. But more importantly, the team as a whole had four missed tackles. That's pretty low rate, uh, given the fact that they were they had 53 total tackles. So in 57 opportunities, only missed four. That's pretty good. Um, 
you're, you're talking, I think, le- what, less than 10% there on missed miss tackle rate. And typically around the league this year, it's like 15 to 20%. So if you can not miss tackles, this is this is the VIP content. We'll take you behind the paywall. If you cannot miss tackles, the other team will not get yards and you will win the game. You're welcome. Hold on a second. Uh, don't. <laughs> Write that down. Tackles. All right. It checks out, Chris. I think you're right. Um, yeah. Two more Vaughn comps from people that I talked to. This one's kind of old. Remember Joe Morris with the Giants? No. Is that before my time? That's early. That's that's, that's like the mid-90s Giants. Oh, okay. Joe Morris. Yeah. He's 5'7". Uh, hard runner. Played really well at Syracuse. Uh, became a good receiver. Um, but then when the game changed, Dave Meggett was one that people likened it to. I think that's a little bit more in, in more our age, right? Yeah, I, I definitely remember him. Don't want to end up like Dave Meggett, but college pros, okay, you're good there. So, again, that's the type of person you're talking about there. I, I think that the Sproles comp is lazy but also accurate. Um, he's just a good player. He does that too. And, again, what what does it say that two of your best special teams players and, again, two of the best special teams returners out there, certainly in the Big 12, maybe beyond, there you're outside in your slot receiver, too, and you get the ball in their hands and you do stuff, too. I don't expect them to bomb it deep a whole bunch, but if you can, if your quarterback can kick it or punt it to your kicker, your kick returner, your punt returner, so to speak, you know, just get those guys the ball and let them do something. Uh, going to be short, and you're right, tackling is going to be really important there, too. Their offensive line has gotten a lot of praise for the way it's played this year, and you got to remember, they had huge COVID issues last year. They lost their final five games, and they were playing skeleton crews out there. I remember one game where, like, there was there was at least two games where they probably shouldn't have played, is what I remember. Um, late in the season, I'm looking at now, 45 to nothing against Iowa State. That was definitely one, and then 69 to 31 against Texas, who fired their coach soon thereafter. So they have some continuity now. They're healthy again. Three games in a row, they've won. They're healthy. Their coach said this week this is the first time they've had their full team at a practice on a Monday in a long, long time. So that's a good sign, too. But the one thing that people do talk about is that their offensive line is maybe underrated. I was looking at their concentration of snaps. Their tackles have played all but 95 snaps. Talking nine games now. Um, Their guards have played all but about 125 snaps. And their center has played all but six snaps. So they've played, I'm going to approximate here, about 90% of their snaps are the same as five guys. They run very well. They don't give up a lot of sacks, and they've been able to hit big plays. Where does this matchup lie? Because the strength of West Virginia's defense is the defensive line. We saw what a really good defensive line can do to a bad offensive line last week. This might be a way for Kansas State to further negate things against West Virginia's defense. I think maybe you have to overload that right side of the line for what, if you're West Virginia, or the left, well, the right side of the offensive line. Uh, you go looking at the, the uh, PFF grades, for Kansas State's offensive line, and it essentially goes down from left to right. Uh, I mean, yes. uh, left tackle. Uh, is that like BB, right? Like Dan BB, the old, since we're talking about old NFLers, uh, yeah. Cooper BB, um, tops up, right up near the top, 84.8 for an offensive grade, 89.7 pass blocking. That is insanely high. Uh, Josh Rivas, left guard, 79.2. Get the center, 69.0. Get the right guard, 58.6. Get the right tackle, 57.9. So are you going to start pressuring from the right side? Because that's how it goes. That's, how you, that's, that's not just overall grade. 
It's also pressures allowed. I mean, you're going 6, 12, 16, 13, 21, going left or right. So a lot of that pressure, that the leaky side of that offensive line is the right side of the offensive line, left side of the defensive line. Are you going to overload that? Or do you trust that the guys that you put over there can do it on their own? Cooper BB is the son, of course, of Pittsburgh State NAIA All-American Tom BB. Uh-huh. Not related. My apologies. Oh. Is it a big game for the Bandit, or is it a big game for the four-man front? West Virginia used not much four-man front. Thought that the Bandit was a better game. There's advantages when you have... Listen, they're playing a four-man front. They're playing with four guys, at least three guys who can definitely get after the passer. Um, the Sterenin and, and Jefferson, eh, we'll see. But Mesador, Stills, Austin, those are guys who can definitely rush the passer. Playing the three-man front, you still have those three on the field for much of the action. Plus Bartlett or Cowan. Cowan, I guess, has made a nice comeback. And he's swinging the hammer before the games now. He's starting, the, starting in place of Bartlett. Bartlett's been quiet since that big game, but... Boy, it'd be a great time to get something from the bandit, but also a great time to get some pass rush here because they're not used to getting blitzed and, and, and sacked a bunch. And, you know, listen, cut off the head of this defense here. They made big plays to their quarterback who's really composed and is able to sit back and diagnose defenses to the tune of 72% completion percentage. If you're going to honor the pass rush, it's got to be Saturday. I feel like we've been saying it's the game for the bandit for about two years now. <laughs> Three years, yeah. Like, it's just, it's a position that should be important, needs to be important, and so far has just not had the production that you'd expect. Um, and this year, quite frankly, other than that that Virginia Tech game for Bartlett, it's been this year has been no different. Um, yeah, don't forget he was playing against like the third string right tackle too. That right. So outside of that one game, which was which was a great game, six mm-hmm. pressures, three sacks. Um, there were between the two of them, Bartlett and Cowan. In every other game, 14 total pressures between the two of them. Uh, so they're averaging about one pressure combined, one and a half pressures combined per game from that position, this this key position that is supposed to wreak havoc on opposing offenses. That's just not going to cut it. And I don't know. That's a, that's a problem that maybe needs to be addressed in the offseason. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, find a portal and get these guys out of here, but adjusting the scheme and stuff. I don't know if this is something you can adjust on the fly in a regular game week. So I think it, it's more of a, a trust the three-man front, maybe give some more four-man looks, something that frees up a guy to kind of get one-on-ones against that right side of the line. Do you think Carr, Linnell Carr, or Torres Simmons is a bandit next year? you got to give him a look. I mean, I, I these aren't my words. These are the coach's words that Linnell Carr is the best pass rusher on the team. Mm-hmm. And – I mean, in and in, in public, you know, that's not somebody talking in private, a source. I mean, they said that in press conferences. And how often have we seen him this year? Like a handful of snaps, uh, meaningful snaps so far this year. Yeah. Cowan's a redshirt senior. Bartlett will be back. Ja'Cory Hammett is the only other bandit. And he's six foot 195. He's out with a knee injury this year. So there's your two bandits next year. Recruiting may take care of some of it, but I don't I don't think you can expect a freshman to do it. Maybe you can find a guy in junior college or you can find a transfer to do it, but that's a position you need. Um, and again, you're going to have to have some of that on uh, on Saturday too. Um, concerned at all about state of the defense here? Dixon, I mean, you're stretching out low for sure. I don't know if Lowe can play wire to wire if Dixon doesn't play. Um, we saw Woods leave for a little bit against um, Oklahoma State. 
that's already limiting as a no Nick Troy fortune. The safeties are playing a ton of football right now. I just wonder, like, I, I, they're very thin to start, but they're also losing depth and they can't afford to lose more. And here we are late in the season where little things become bigger. You've got so many nicks and knacks that they begin to accumulate, too. This isn't a team that can play with pace, but this is a team that can hit you and hurt you, too. How concerned are you about depth chart too deep and maybe having the right people or the wrong people on the field? Uh, I think it's a problem because I'm not sure who, well, I am sure who could fill in that will spot. Because you're right, stretching low for a full game when he hasn't done it all year, that might be asking a lot. But, you know, you know who can do it is Josh chandler Smedo. Do Do we see a move like we saw a couple times last year where instead of just inserting the backup, like, for instance, when Tony Fields was out for the bowl game or when he got to, uh, kicked out of the Texas Tech game, they moved Chandler Semedo over or moved Tonkery over and then made some other adjustments there. I, I don't know if, again, we're talking about on the fly in the middle of the week here of a game week. I don't know if you want to make too drastic of a change, but is this a situation where maybe you see Chandler Semedo line up at some will and get uh, Deshaun Stevens in there some? I, I don't know. He's He's been making a couple appearances lately for West Virginia. Um, but there's just not a lot of depth at that bandit position right now or at the will position right now. It really could be a Scotty Young game too, where in the, you probably asked Lowe to play as much as he can. You just don't have another guy. Like you're not, you have Stevens and maybe you can move Chandler Samito over. I get that. That's a possibility. Sure. But I wonder if because of you maybe you want to have a guy who can cover in there and you're not too worried about them hammering you up the middle in the run game. Maybe when you don't have low on the field, you put an extra D back in. That's Scotty Young. Similar like to it. what they were doing with Jackie Matthews early in the season. Because Young, Young, by the way, has gotten his act together and played okay the last two games. Though. He was good last game. No longer sick. Not sick. No longer sick. Um, no, I, I no. like that idea, though. That he, he has played really good. I felt like in that Oklahoma State game, I felt like I saw him around the ball a lot. So I think this is a, that would be a good move to, to slide him over there as a quote-unquote linebacker. Potential does exist, too. Um, let's flip sides now. This Kansas State defense. Um, this feels like a Jeff Castile week, Chris. What do you think? <laughs> Can I surprise you on something? Go for it. Here? Because it, it, it surprised me. Maybe it won't surprise you. Um, can you tell me the team that currently is dead last in the Big 12 Conference in missed tackle rate? The worst team at tackling according to PFF. I know who two of the culprits are, too, so. Kansas State. Right. They are, it It kind of threw me off because uh, you just don't see a lot of the guys, it, it, you don't see a lot of the guys on the leaderboard, like individually. I mean, one or two, like I think a linebacker's on there. But I was looking specifically at the secondary, and then I realized something related to the question you asked Neil Brown in the press conference about how much they rotate. The fact that they rotate so much lowers the the raw numbers but the rate is very high almost 18 percent of the opportunities that they have to make a tackle they miss which is the worst in the conference uh them and tcu tcu is at 17.4 percent they're on an island at the bottom i mean they're a full tcu is a full percentage point lower than get this oklahoma state which shocked me um but they are way behind everybody else. West Virginia, by the way, leads the Big 12. Fewest missed tackles total, fewest missed tackle rate, or lowest missed tackle rate at about 14%. So um, 
this is a team that can miss some tackles, especially in the secondary, since we're talking secondary, since we're talking Jeff Castillo and this type of 3-3-5 defense. Are you aware of the Taj Austin stat? Zero missed tackles for the year? Unbelievable. And like, is it like north of 400 snaps now? Yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable. And I can't believe you just brought that up. Way to jinx it. My bad. Well, I put it in the by the numbers for like the entire season or like the last couple weeks of the season, I guess. Oh, too. did you? Okay. Then I guess it we're past reading. that point. Then. Uh, <laughs> they, they play a 3-3-5. They funnel a lot of their stuff to their linebackers. And Daniel Green, who's a really good player, uh, Cody Fletcher, that's two linebackers who played in the middle of the action. They're number two and three on what PFF calls stops, and that's when you basically win the down. The team gets not a productive play. It's a loss. It's a tackle. It's no gain. It's it went one, two yards. But they've also missed 23 tackles. And then their safety, Jerron McPherson, um, a guy that they've moved around to deep middle now, he was one of their bandits, or excuse me, one of their fielder boundary guys before, and then now they moved in the middle. He's got 10, but he's been pretty good lately once they've made that change. So they're figuring things out. They put a lot on their linebackers. This is a this is an under center pistol quick hitter game to get through that line and make the linebackers do something or see if they could listen. You may not juke everybody, but Letty Brown can probably run over some people, can slip some tackles. I wonder how much shotgun stuff they do. You might be able to stretch them out, get outside, but you're also risking running into. Let me crack my knuckles here. Felix, Anudike, Uzoma. There you go. Great name. Also a very good player too. What is West Virginia dealing with here? Uh. Maybe the best pass rusher in the Big 12 Conference, at least as far as like his grade goes and how productive he's been, given the limited snaps. Uh, again, they, they rotate a ton, and he's only got 352 snaps and has 33 pressures. Okay. Um, one, out, you know, one out of every 10 snaps, basically, he's getting a pressure on the quarterback, which is pretty remarkable considering almost half of his uh, snaps have been run plays. So we're talking one out of every, what, six pass plays. He's getting a pressure on the quarterback, which is that's not a good sign for West Virginia. And what makes it worse is that he lines up predominantly, not exclusively, but predominantly outside of the left tackle, putting a lot of pressure on that edge. And Brandon Yates has been for West Virginia um, this season. I believe he's the lowest graded regular on offense for the entire year. Um. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not counting Tony Mathis as the lowest graded and uh, a regular yet. He's only played 67 snaps. He is the lowest graded regular on the offense, and by a fairly large margin right now. I mean, Parker Moore is above him, but Parker Moore hasn't played hardly at all recently. Um, and 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 Yates has really struggled with pass blocking. 47.2 grade this season. Brandon Yates has really gone under the radar. Right? Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the offensive line, and then even when – I mean, the coaching staff hasn't exactly been hammering home – or hammering anybody on the offensive line. They haven't singled anybody out, and and, and good for them for not. But like, like I'm talking about when they talk publicly to the media, they haven't singled anybody out. But when Neil Brown has spoken about the issues, he's made a couple comments about the right side. Um, that was, you know, a few weeks ago. It says something about getting the right side together. And then also spoke about getting the run to the outside. But at no time has there ever been a lot of pressure or a lot of talk, a lot of chatter 
on Brandon Yates when he has, I mean, pretty consistently, like this isn't like a one or two bad games, according to his game log, like almost every single game, except what Baylor, uh, Baylor and Texas Tech are the only two games above average, according to PFF so far this year. Let's talk about Anadike Uzoma. Um, if if you watched Jared Diggy last game and you watched the offensive line, he tried to play behind. I think vulnerable is a good word, right? Mm-hmm. Right for the picking. Uh, TCU's offensive line, not very good. Poor Max Dugan's hurting, playing with a broken foot. He can't do much. He can't escape. Andrew DK Uzoma had six sacks in that game. <laughs> he, uh, tied the FBS single-game record and just kept going at him. And again, they put him in, and he would just run past people and do stuff. Now, here's the thing. They later amended the six sacks to four because on two of the six sacks, he forced a fumble. He hit Dugan and, and forced up, excuse me, Duggan, and forced a fumble, but TCU recovered the ball and gained yardage. So I guess that's a, not a sack. I wasn't clear on that. Um, I'm looking at the explanation now, still just trying to make sure I have it right. But like, how about this? He hit the quarterback and put him in danger six times. West Virginia just gave up eight sacks in a game, the most by an FBS, give me a power five, power five FBS team this year. So um, they're, they're vulnerable. They're right for the picking. And this guy is not going to, see a whole lot of resistance there too. The trouble is how much can he generate on his own? You know, will they put him in like a wide five? Is he going to be a guy who's a three? What's it going to be? Um, he, you can talk about this. He plays a lot more in the left than the right, but um, they got to block him. And this is a guy who's getting double teamed and, and sometimes they're throwing a chip at him too, especially on third downs. So they're going to have to find a way to do it. Listen, DJ Banks can't play 29 snaps in this game. He's going to have to play more and Letty Brown's going to have to really continue to do good pass protection. Probably not going to see a lot of Justin Johnson back there on third down. And if Tony Mathis is going to be in there, he's going to have to do something productive because you're going to have to be creative here. It just seems like he's not a guy who's going to get stopped. He's a sophomore. He's figured it out. He's playing pretty well now in the last couple of games. And, you know, teams know, and they still can't find a way to shut him down. He's probably going to make some noise. How much is going to be a determining factor? And if it's no noise, hey, good on West Virginia. Yeah, and this is where that kind of chain reaction of having one really, really good game-changing player can have on your team because he is, if you leave uh, Brandon Yates on an island with him, and I'm not trying to pick on Yates, but the the, the numbers are what they are. Uh, He currently has allowed 23 pressures on the quarterback, which is eight more than the next lineman on West Virginia's team. So he has been a large culprit for a lot of these pressures, a lot of these sacks, a lot of these hits on Daigie. Um, if you leave him on an island, that's 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 a recipe for disaster. So then you have to either keep your running back back there or you have to bring in a tight end. And you do that, then all of a sudden you only have, say, two receivers running a route out there. And you have two receivers trying to get open against five defensive backs. That's tough. Um, even and even if you you start bringing in try to run the ball, you're going to have it in that tight formation. That's going to bring more people into the box. You're going to have that extra TJ Banks in there. It, it's it's just a disaster when you have somebody that good that can cause so many problems for your team. And West Virginia is going to have to do different things to chip and double team and do whatever they can to try to protect Daggy's blind side. Yeah, I don't hate the idea of of bringing them in the box though. 
for a couple of reasons. And one is that they, they play some one-on-one out there and their safeties have had trouble. They'll play three high safeties or three safeties, not like Iowa State does. They're going to drop one and, and make him involved in the run game. But I think you can lure that guy down there and you can create some some plays. The trouble is that they're really long at, at a cornerback and their safeties can do coverage. Um, sneaky fact for you here, Chris, if you're ready. Okay. Russ Yeast. Mm-hmm. Familiar? Yep. Transfer from Louisville. Mm-hmm. Played, played a ton of corner when he's at Louisville. Starting safety brother now, really good in coverage. You know where he's from? Tell me. Danville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That means nothing, but that's a guy that is probably going to get tasked with playing somebody, likely a slot receiver, um, and you take some chances against him and do it. West Virginia did not do well one-on-one against Really aggressive, handsy, I would say, sometimes deserving of a flag defense. But they definitely went out and did that right away and wanted to push the envelope and see what they can get away with. And they got away with everything. I don't remember one defensive holding or pass interference call in that game, correct? No. I don't know what Kansas State will try to do and what they typically think about other teams' success, but there's going to be chances to do that. The trouble is West Virginia does not have Isaiah Esdale, I would think. He's dealing with multiple upper body injuries. That's good. Um, shoulder and ribs, I believe. And Bryce Ford Wheaton apparently not doing great, didn't practice last week, didn't play well against Oklahoma State, and I don't know how well or how quickly you expect someone to recover this late in the season, especially playing games or if you're not practicing. So you're asking Sean Ryan and not Sam Brown, um, Caden Prather to, to carry a lot here, but Winston Wright, Sam Daines probably have to be vertical threats here, if not against inside coverage, and find a way to get outside and doing something too. Um, I kind of like the idea of playing big up there because it helps pass protection, but it also it evens up your advantages, creates advantages, even up the odds in the secondary, and they're going to need that. This is a game where you're probably going to have to take some shots because they don't get a ton of pressure. They get a lot from Anadike Uzoma, not a whole lot of other sources of pressure there. Well, I know you love the the um, bring those guys in the box because you are the biggest proponent of the tight coverage. Is that right? Uh, I'm a fan, yeah. Yeah, you're fan. Um, I agree with you. To get to get the guys one on one outside, try to get win some of those matchups, and but you're again you're rolling the dice here with that because how many times have we seen this year where West Virginia's tried to win those one on ones and they can't? Now at some point you have to ask yourself: Are these guys capable of winning those one on ones? And I don't want to say you know these guys these receivers aren't good or, or anything like that. That's certainly not the case. Um, they wouldn't be here if they weren't, and we've seen glimpses for all of them. But they're going to have to win one-on-ones, and they didn't do it last game. Or even when they did, you know, somebody else didn't. And I think that's the problem. you got to have guys winning one-on-ones, and the receivers are no different. Yeah, I think you could. I think you can win one-on-ones without having to get behind a guy and throw a deep ball. You can win a one-on-one by getting open on a slant, by running a really good curl route or a square in. I think they can do that, and they're going to have to. Do they have the personnel? And do they have the available personnel who can actually do it? Let's say Wheaton, Ford Wheaton's healthy. Can he get open? He's shown the ability to do that before. He's also shown that he has issues with that sometimes, too. So, listen, that's going to be a big matchup, too. They're long and strong in corner. That's a place they run a bunch of people into. So, um, if this is a game that that is going to be decided right after the whistle on stuff, whether it's on the line of scrimmage or in the secondary, you're going to have to win more of those. And they just frankly didn't win many, never mind enough, uh, last game. Um, close on this. Three straight wins following three straight losses. If you look at their schedule, yeah, they probably should beat Texas Tech, TCU, and Kansas. 
And then sure, you can forgive losses to Oklahoma, Oklahoma, excuse me, Oklahoma State without a quarterback, Oklahoma, and then Iowa State. Trouble is, like those were those were close-ish losses to there. The final scores look better. They were down two scores in both of them. They got a kickoff return late against Oklahoma to make that look interesting. Um, and then again, two scores in all those games they were down. They were also down two scores against Texas Tech and did the right thing. Went for two after the first touchdown, got it, won the game with their second touchdown. Texas Tech summarily fired its coach the next game. And then TCU's a mess. And where was a mess, quarterback probably helped with a change there. And Kansas is Kansas. There are two sides of the corner here to look at. I don't know if they both come up heads or tails, but like I think you could look at them and say they're not good enough to beat premier teams. They're good enough to beat struggling teams, which is probably not a great endorsement for West Virginia's odds on Saturday, but I don't think this is a top half of the team or top half of the league team necessarily. I don't think it's a team that West Virginia can't um, do stuff to, whereas last week they just seemed like they were resigned that they could not do stuff to Oklahoma State. Yeah, it's funny. You it, when we were on the pod last, I mentioned something about them. You know, winning games they should, and never winning games they shouldn't. And I didn't mean it as an insult because, again, how many teams in the Big Twelve can say they've won all the games they're supposed to, or thought they could, and, and lost the games they they didn't think they were going to? I think it's basically Oklahoma, maybe Oklahoma State, and Kansas State. Um, and I, I posited that question to our Kansas State side for our Q and A, and it was pretty blunt. He was like, yeah, it's fair, very fair assessment. And pointed out that not only did they lose, because I, you know, I kept up with some of this stuff, kept up with some of these games. But again, we're trying to watch the West Virginia game and cover that. And a lot of times these games overlap, but you do keep up with what's going on in the rest of the conference. And he just was pretty blunt about it and said that all three of those losses, those teams, quote, cruised over Kansas State, which made me go back and do a double take. And just like you you were pointing out that they were down double digits, that it really wasn't that close, and that six and three is six and three misleading. Um, it might be, but I, I'm with you. I think this is the game where I think West Virginia is what a touchdown underdog, and I, I don't think it should be that much. I think it should be more. Did you say this on the last pod? Am I stealing this from you? Be about three points. Isn't that what you said? Although generator has has it at three points, and if you if you weight things a little bit, it does widen not much point maybe because West Virginia was just rancid against Oklahoma State. But um, if you if you just kind of look season at a hole against FBS teams, it's, it's not more than a field goal. Yeah, I was gonna say I feel like this is gonna be a close game again. I, I this is three straight games that I felt this this entire stretch would be less than one score games that where the winning team scored twenty four points. Um, first game. Was Iowa State? It was one score game, but you had to get 38. Oklahoma State, you won with 24, but it was a blowout. This one, I think this is the one where you hit both sides of that, and this game ends up some way, somehow, for one of the two teams. I'm not making any predictions right here, but 24, you know, 24, 21, 21, 17, something like that. The thing that concerns me is that they hit, they do hit the big plays, and West Virginia's vulnerable. Uh, West Virginia does not have that capability to hit big plays, not consistently or anything of like won a game, but they've given up 10 plays of 40 yards or more, a couple of touchdowns in there too. So it can happen. And Iowa state TCU recent opponents um, have done that to them. Texas tech, uh, Oklahoma state, not a really punchy offense. Got them for one. Kansas got them for a 45 yard touchdown last game. Texas tech got them for a 45 yard touchdown. It's out there. Can West Virginia find it? Don't know. 
here we go, Chris, wrap it up. Uh, Saturday evening, we're talking win or lose, who or what uh, is on the top of our mind based on what we saw. You already heard my answer. It's Brandon Yates. It, or, or, I mean, I'm assuming they're not making any changes at left tackle, and that, and that's where it is because I think it is a domino effect if they cannot stop um, uh, the pass rush from that side of the ball. And, and even if they can stop it, but they need three guys to do it, I think that can be detrimental to this offense that, that needs every all hands on deck to kind of get the ball downfield. So that is who I'm talking about if West Virginia ends up winning this game. I'm going to go with, with Deuce Vaughn just because if he's not Deuce Vaughn in this game, then you've got to tip your hat to West Virginia's defense for being good at what it does, which means not getting beat in the middle and being able to outflank him outside. Um, conversely, if he hits a bunch of things that he either does or shouldn't do, that's going to say something about West Virginia. He's just the chess piece. They move him all over the place, slot out wide, two backs in the backfield just by himself, whatever. Um, that's obviously who they got to watch out, but he can also cause trouble by facilitating opportunities for Knowles and for uh, Brooks. The one I have to see, though, that I, I thought about this one, too. West Virginia has to play on their front foot. West Virginia has to play like a team that thinks it needs to win a couple more games to get to a bowl. West Virginia should not be in a defensive position in this game. This should not be a team. We can't do this. We don't want to try this. Um, hey, let's see if this works. No, you've got to have figured out what you can and can't do right now. This is not a team that boxes you in a corner and takes stuff away from you. They should have an idea about what they want to do and come out and game plan here. I think you'll know within, I would say the first quarter, but certainly the first couple of possessions, um, maybe even by the third, wink, wink, as to whether or not that they really have a plan for what they're going to do in this one. Over, under, two and a half drives before Garrett Green comes in on Saturday. We'll see. He was Neil was not happy with either quarterback. And he mentioned one of them. He would not mention the other one, which is always kind of funny to watch people track that. But, like, he wasn't happy with either one of them there. So what do you do? Do you scrap the plan? Do you, was it so bad that, like, you can't attach too much meaning to it? I don't know. We'll see. Like, he's really got himself in a corner here on this one to see what he has to do. But got to have a plan. Figure it out. Okay, I got nothing else, Mike. I I, I got to save. So I got to save something for the three key matchups on Saturday morning. Tomorrow morning, fresh set. Saturday morning, three key matchups. We'll also have uh, basketball. I was going to ask you about basketball, but we'll save that for a later conversation. Pitt stinks, by the way. That might not be a good game at all Saturday or Friday night. But hey, Friday night, eight thirty backyard brawl. Saturday noon, also known as eleven a.m. or also one p.m. West Virginia against Kansas State in Manhattan. Press F5 on the website. A lot of stuff's going to happen the next couple of hours, the next couple of days. So we'll try to keep you informed and entertained. And until then, I am Mike Kazaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you next time.